Tonight's Bible reading comes from uh, Matthew 5, 14 and to 16. You are the light of the world. A town, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. Thank you so much for that, Catherine. Whoa. I was going to say, if there's Charles up there, there's trouble. But, um, yes. So this evening, obviously, we're going to continue with our series on discipleship. And tonight, I'm going to particularly focus on our witness. And it's a very complex subject. I mean, seriously, we could talk about this for six or eight months. So tonight, we're just going to skim over the top. Okay, I'm going to give you a couple of suggestions, a few ideas. I need you to think through what is said tonight. I need you to go home and work through it and um, apply it to your lives. You have to come up with that yourself. And so I want you to really think about what is said. And be determined to do more research. Don't just hear what is said and go home and don't do anything about it. Be determined to do more research and apply it to your lives. And so much of the ideas that are going to come from the message this evening uh, is from a couple of series. One's called Fruitfulness on the Front Line. One's called Life on the Front Line. And I've actually used these in uh, previous church series that I've preached, um, two different series, and uh, also in uh, a number of Connect Group studies. But it's great material, and uh, I think that you should um, seriously consider what is said this evening and, and hear what's behind that as well. Let's just open in prayer, and uh, then these guys are going to show us a video. Father God, thank you for your presence, your power, your love that you pour out upon us so freely. Thank you, Lord, that you call each one of us, if we've declared you as our Lord and Saviour, you've called us to be your ambassadors. You want us to be your representatives on this earth. And Father, I want to apologise straight up for not taking that seriously. And so, Lord, tonight... I pray that we'll hear the truth of your word through what is said. And more than that, that we'll apply to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the missional church. Simple. In the past, churches have spent large amounts of resources to construct the most attractive places imaginable for the community in which they were situated. Great music compelling teaching, and a host of programs designed to gather people together were the staple of such church communities. Anyone who wanted to come was welcome, and church members were encouraged to invite their friends and neighbors. Generally, people had a pleasant experience. The people who came and were cared for seemed relatively similar. Education, income, pastimes, race, struggles, and histories seemed to be almost identical. Eventually, someone asked the question, What about all the people who aren't like us, but who live around us? Why aren't they here too? In response, the church increased its marketing budget, direct mailing the community, taking out ads in local papers, buying radio time, releasing a fresh web page, and offering to host the world's greatest event. The church was determined to be the center of everything great that happened in the community. Church members began to rely on the church to do the work of conveying God's story in the world. If someone could be brought to an event, they could hear about Jesus from a professional teacher. Inviting people became synonymous with evangelism. The missional church, on the other hand, empowers its members to be the church in the community. 
The church trains, resources, encourages, and challenges its people to live out the good news in their community with those who would otherwise be suspicious of a church and its marketing efforts. The church sends out its members to live among people unfamiliar with church customs, songs, and what it holds sacred, just like a foreign missionary. The missional church recognizes then that every believer embodies the life of the church in their neighborhood, in their school, or at their place of work, each one of them telling God's story in the context of compassionate and genuine relationships. I'm not sure what you think about what has just been presented to you, but I grew up in a generation where we actually had these services, which were called seeker services, and they were designed supposedly to bring all these people into the church and to have this great evangelical event where so many people would come to faith, and all the research now proves they failed. There might have been one or two that come to faith, but on a whole, they failed. And unfortunately, the carryover has been that if people want to hear the gospel, then they should come to church. And unfortunately, it doesn't work. It is not overly successful. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying don't invite your friends to church. I think you should do that. But if we rely on that solely to be what is going to present the gospel to these people and what is going to convince them to give their life to Christ, it is not going to work. We need to be doing more. And I'm not, be, not sure if uh, before seeing this video, um, you have actually heard that term frontline. Um, but that's what we're going to be talking about. And first and foremost, I want to talk about that front line. And uh, this is where we as individual members of the church can have potentially the greatest impact. You think about the circle of friends that you mix and mingle with, your workplace and everything like that. Even those that were part of your friendship group when you first became a Christian, you are most likely the only Christian person that will have an influence upon them. And so it's very, very important for us to think about our frontline situations. I'm going to read for you from Matthew 28, uh, verses 18 to 20. Very popular, very well-known passage of Scripture. I'm not oh, sorry. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And what we've seen over a period of time and from this video is that there's this huge reliance just on people being brought to church and that's where they come to know Christ and everything like that. But as the commission says in this passage of scripture, the command is to go. It's not to bring or to come. Just actually go and be those representatives. And we need to think about what our call and responsibility is. And when it comes to witnessing, we should be able to identify our front lines. Now, you see the church's impact on the left-hand side here. When we're gathered like this, our impact upon our community, which is indicated in grey, it still works, but it's very, very minimal. And then when we separate as the Church of Christ and go into the wider community, you can see just that initial point of contact, we have a much greater impact upon those in our community if we're willing to talk about Jesus. And so we need to think about those very basic principles and illustrations that we have there before us. And we need to think about our everyday situations and the impact that we can have there. And the reality of the world that we live in today is that you may well and truly be the only Christian that someone will come into contact with. We now have a generation where some people come to faith who know nothing about Jesus, who know nothing about the Bible, know nothing about biblical stories. And some of you will find that incredibly hard to believe, but I have actually 
mentored, discipled some people who have no biblical background whatsoever. And that's what we're faced with. Not only should we identify our front lines, but we should value them as places that are unique to us as individuals. When we're called into the body of the church, we're called because each of us has a role to play. And just thinking about those front lines, you are the one and only person who will actually have impact and touch each of those people that are part of your friendship groups. And so we need to think about our workplaces, our school, our university, our home, our neighbourhoods, our sporting clubs, our social groups, even the local coffee shop. All of these are places where we will have an impact where no one else does. I'll possibly have more impact in coffee shops than anywhere else. But quite simply, it's any place that you go on a regular basis where you come into touch with people on a regular basis. And you, if you choose to, can make a huge difference within their lives And this is all about acknowledging that once we give our lives to Jesus, there should be this fundamental change. There should be this desire for us to no longer live for ourselves, but to live for him. To reach out into our communities and to be challenged each other to be doing more. We should be living for him and his purposes. And I'm sure for those of us who know the Lord and have followed him, his ways are not our ways. And so part of our new life Part of our witness is doing things which are sometimes uncomfortable. And uh, I want to talk about our commission. Now, we've got the Great Commission, which um, obviously we all know about that. That's what we just read from Matthew 28. And uh, it was read out, uh, I read that out to you earlier. But if we are God's ambassadors, we have a commission to care and love everyone just as God does. And to this end, we are called to care for the cities, the people in which we are placed. And I'm not sure if we actually get this. I want you to think about this passage of Scripture from Jeremiah 29.7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Now the story surrounding what has been actually said here, this would be actually quite a shocking message for the Israelites to receive because, you see, they've been taken by force into Babylon. And so they're in this Babylon, they're in Babylon and they've been held captive by this pagan nation. And they think that God's going to get them out of there. They're going to be released very, very quickly. And in fact, the false prophets at the time were saying exactly that. The Lord will redeem you. He'll get you out of here. Everything's going to be sweet. And Jeremiah comes along and he says, no, not going to happen. You're going to be here for 70 years. 70 years. You guys, you should marry. You guys should build houses. You guys should, you know, um, settle down here and get used to being here. And you should pray for the welfare of those people who are in this city. Can you understand how shocking that would have been for them? To pray for the welfare of those who've taken them captive. Who've taken them away from where they can actually worship God. And the challenge for us then is to acknowledge that God longs for us to do more than just survive. He wants us to have an impact upon our front lines. He wants us to be looking for ways to just encourage people to draw closer to him. We should be thriving in those places, making the most of every opportunity. And even when we think we have the worst bosses, the worst colleagues, the worst job, we need to pray for them. We need to be looking for ways to seek their welfare, to pray that God, that God's blessings upon them and to look for every opportunity because when we establish their welfare, when we pray for their well-being, it returns to us. That's what this passage of scripture actually says. And so the other thing we need to do too, we need to be part of a community 
And, and this is one of the most incredible things as far as the Christian church is concerned. We need to find that spiritual home, a place where we commit to, become a member of and support. And uh, when we look at Colossians 3, 12 to 17, I hope you can read that. Yep, you can. And I'll just read the last section there. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And this is part of our need for a community to actually disciple us, to instruct us in the ways that we should go, to strengthen each other in the faith. And I'm a big believer in generational mentoring. You know, I'm getting a bit old, but, you know, I'm at that age where I've got kids and they're entering their teenage years. And I'm possibly the type of person who could now mentor those who've got kids that are in that primary age group and everything like that. There's people who are retired who can now mentor those who are about to have their kids move on to their adulthood and things like that. Each of us have something that we can teach the generation below us. And we should be looking at discipling someone and we should have someone who disciples us. We should be doing that as a church, as a people of God. And so when we come into this community, uh, we're looking to grow in our faith. And I believe the best way to grow in faith in a church community is be part of a connect group. And um, praise God, you've got some of the connect groups in the bulletin this morning and tonight. Uh, unfortunately, there's about five or six that have been missed out of that when I've looked over it. But that's my fault more than anyone else's. So um, they'll be added and uh, we'll make that happen. But it's just so encouraging to see so many connect groups and to hear the things that are happening there already and, and how people are being grown in the faith. I think that's the best place. Um, that you can actually grow. You grow there, you're cared for, you can go deeper into God's word, you can encourage and strengthen a smaller group, you can build community there. And the community that you experience there is something that you should be pushing out into the wider church as well and encouraging people to grasp hold of the greater teachings of God. And as far as I'm concerned, we never obtain a position of understanding where we don't need a connect group. We never get to that stage where we don't need to learn anymore. We never get to that stage where we know everything we need to know while on this earth. So in this community of faith, our connect groups, Sunday services, Bible studies, where we support, encourage and equip one another uh, for the challenges that we'll face in our front lines. And it's in this community who pray more purposefully for you, who can come alongside you when you need to, who can be very intentional in how they care for you. And so... When we think about those things, when we tie that in with our concerns for our cities and things like that, we also need our witness to be about our heart's cry. And we possibly don't talk about something like this very often. This is about exploring how we need to pray and how we need to make God's purposes our purposes. And when we look at our front lines and we consider the people that we encounter, our hearts should be moved in the same way that God's hearts are moved. God's heart is moved. And just as a bit of a test there, we need to realise that God loves everyone unconditionally. And as humans, that's very hard for us to grasp. That guy who pulled the trigger over in Christchurch, God loves him. He's not beyond redemption. And that's a difficult thing to say. But, but that's our, our Lord. He, he, he just loves everyone unconditionally. Everyone is made in his image. And we need to start grasping that there's no one who is behind him uh, beyond him as far as redemption is concerned and we have this habit of judging people and I know some of you are saying nope I don't have you ever used that phrase I would never do that 
I have. That's a judgment call. We need to turn that round. It's better to say, there go I, but by the grace of God. Because we all have the ability to sin. We all have the ability to go down that path. And so when we think about the Lord, we know that his desire is that not one be lost. And so we should yearn and long for the lost the same way that God yearns and longs for them. We should be praying for them. And think about the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. When we pray, your kingdom come, we're asking God to bring his kingdom, his rule, his authority to bear on this earth. And to play our part in making that happen, we need to believe the next line and we need to obey it. Your will be done. It's no longer about me and what I want. It's all about God and what he wants. I no no longer rule my life. I say, Lord, here I am. Use me. I want you to rule my life. And in so doing, I want to live in obedience so your will will be manifested through me. Your will will be done through me. I will be obedient to you. And more than anything, our desire should be to move beyond the gimme, gimme prayers. I prayed those most of my life. Just stuff for me. Stuff I wanted. Stuff I thought I needed. And we should be praying in a way that will shake the foundations of the earth. It's interesting. I always find it interesting. When people are sick, what do we pray? Lord, heal them. When someone's in jail, what do we pray? Lord, get them out. And uh, I had someone who was diagnosed with terminal cancer and um, everyone was praying for the healing fair enough I'm not saying that's wrong but I actually went up and I said how do you want me to pray for you and they said I want a closer walk with Jesus they'd love to be healed but they wanted to be closer to Jesus that was a more important prayer for them and in the midst of their suffering they felt his presence his love his power and they wanted more of that That was more important than anything else. And we've got to stop going to the defaults and think about, well, what is God doing in this situation? When we think about um, what happened in uh, Acts 4.29, and this is Peter and John. They've been beaten as a result of proclaiming the gospel. And um, they're told, never speak this word again. And they're finally released. They run off to uh, the other disciples, the other followers of Christ. And they start praising God after they tell them what happened. And then they all come together and they begin to pray. They don't pray that they will not be persecuted. They don't pray that these guys will be kept safe or anything like that. They actually pray for boldness to continue to proclaim the name of the Lord. That's the way we should be praying. We should be praying that we can overcome any hesitation that causes us not to proclaim his name. God's ways are not our ways. Will we hear the ripple of the building being shaken as God does something new when we pray with purpose, when we cry out as he would have us to cry out? Part of our witness is also to model godly character. What does it look like? Well, the scripture tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when we talk about modeling godly character, these are the characteristics that we should be showing. 
And it's not one or two of them, it should be all of them. And it should be to a greater and greater extent. And I know when you come to faith, there's things that you find very difficult to deal with. Self-control would be a big one. Anger is one of those things that's very difficult to overcome. But you should be moving forward more and more and honing these things, laying yourself before Christ again, looking for ways in which he can help you deal with this. And each and every year, you should be able to look back and realize that you're closer to Christ. You're more like him because of how much you've submitted to him. We should be determined to live for Christ in such a way that even in the most difficult circumstances on our front line, people will see these qualities shining through when they would react in a totally different way so that they question why you are the way that you are. And that gives you another opportunity to proclaim the name of our Lord. People will be drawn to you and they'll all be, also be drawn to your Saviour. As a, witness, as, as a witness to others too, we should be doing good work. Now, again, I, d- I don't want you to hear wrong here. It's not about working for salvation or anything like that. We cannot do that. But Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God be prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And this is about serving others. It's about completing our tasks in our workplaces as if Jesus was our boss. Because you know what? He is. In a lot of ways, he's our Lord. And so as we do those menial tasks, those things that we think don't matter, we should be doing them in the best possible way we can, with the best possible outcomes that we can muster, so that we are honouring Christ in our workplace. And when we do that, when we do every task as if it's for him, we'll bring glory to his name. We need to be doing our best in each and every situation with his help, of course. And it's also about those divine appointments that God can create in the midst of us. In our willingness to be obedient and do whatever he prompts us to do by his Holy Spirit. That is good work. That is obeying him. That is stepping out in faith. And our willingness to work for Jesus should not be subject to our outward circumstances. I want you to think about Joseph. Was his work ethic any different when he was in prison than when he was actually the ruler of Egypt? I don't think so. He just did all he did for the glory of God, regardless of where he was and his situation. We also need to be ministers of grace and love. When we talk about grace and love, I I don't know. Those who spent time with me doing Bible studies and things like that know I hate Christian cliches. In fact, they'd possibly say, my connect group, the amount of times that I've said, lovely Christian cliche, what do you mean? Because we we just have this habit of using these Christian cliches which say something that we think sounds particularly spiritual or things like that. I hope we don't do that when we talk about grace and love. Because when we get grace and love right, it is something that can seriously change the world. When it comes to practically caring and kindness, we call that grace and love. When we supply for those who have needs, we call that grace and love. But I think we're being called to do much more than that. I think we've been called to step beyond just these little mundane things. It's how we respond in very difficult situations. When you're with your friendship group and someone is on their own, are you willing to leave your friendship group and speak with that person who's on their own? When you're walking down the road and there is a homeless person who is obviously not well-bathed or things like that, quite frankly, stinks, are you willing to pause and spend time with them? 
Our call is to take the gospel to the poor, to take the gospel to the needy, and yet we avoid those people. You speak to Thurindu, you speak to Tom about the homeless people that they have spoken to, they will not come to church because they do not feel welcome. They see us as middle class. That's so sad. We need to be facilitators of change in that. We need to respond in our daily situations when most would turn away from a particular thing. We need to respond and do the right thing. If we truly believe we're Jesus' hands and feet, he's ambassadors on this earth, then we need to start acting like it. Think about Jesus and his act of love in Matthew 8. this, This is one of those passages that really blows me away. And Jesus is seen as this priest... He's confronted by this leper and this leper first and foremost should have been calling out as he walked along, unclean, unclean. And Jesus had every right as a teacher to walk on the opposite side of the road or the opposite side of the path and ignore this man altogether. He had that right to do that. And this man is untouchable. But he calls out to Jesus He kneels before him and says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And when we think about Jesus' interaction here, the one thing he shouldn't have done was touch this guy. It's just taboo. You don't do it. But Jesus, he he wanted to smash those boundaries. He wanted to break them down. And he reaches out and he touches the untouchable. He says, I'm willing. Be clean. And we need to be that example to the world. We need to go to places where people will not go. And we need to touch people people will not touch. We need to be friends with those who have no friends. We need to continue to break down those barriers. And the question remains, are we willing to show that kind of grace and love to a broken and hurting world? a world who so desperately needs it. We also need to be about moulding culture. Culture is the way we do things around here. If we say we're followers of Christ, then there should be a fundamental change in the things that we value, the things that have priority in our life. We should put to death um, our old selves and everything that is worldly in our lives. We shouldn't pursue those things anymore. And um, we should seek those things that are above, those things that are permanent. And Colossians 3, 1 to 11, tells us to set our minds on the things that are above. And uh, so... If that's our primary focus, if we're focused on the things that are above, there'll be this incredible transformation in our lives. Every moment of every day, every breath we take and everything that we do should be so different to what the world would have us to do that they notice. We're no longer living our lives for ourselves, but we are living for the King. And so instead of living for our own gain each and every day, we're saying, Lord, here I am. Everything I am, everything I have, everything I ever will be is yours. Use me today for your purposes and your glory. Help me to do your will. And this is submission to God's authority over our lives. Not only changes us, but it changes the way that we work. 
It changes our focus on the, from the things of the world to the things that are eternal. And if we truly value the things of God, it will shape our culture, the way we do things around here. And it'll have an impact upon our front lines. And it'll mould that culture as well because we stand on the promises of God and we will not be swayed. We also need to be mouthpieces for... Okay. (laughs) We're only talking about that before the service. Such joy, isn't it? We need to be mouthpieces for truth and justice. Being a mouthpiece for truth and justice... It's a nice Christian cliche, yeah, it sounds really good, but it's so, so hard to do. As part of the culture that we're saying is our culture, we need to speak up for truth and justice. And there's a ton of passages in Scripture, but because we've got to be careful how much um, we fit into one slide, I've only put four passages up there, but they talk about truth and justice all the time. You know, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything else is from evil or of the devil. Um, We should keep ourselves unstained from the world and visit orphans and widows. Uh, We shouldn't seek our own good. We should seek the good of our neighbours and things like that. We need to learn to do good, seek justice and uh, correct oppression, bring justice and plead the widow's cause. They're just a few passages and it goes on and on. And this should carry over into our workplaces and we should be standing up for truth. We shouldn't be willing to bend the rules and uh, guys, we shouldn't take things from work. Um, when I was living in Gladstone, you know, you went to anyone's house who was working in any of the industries and they all had big packs of earplugs and things like that because they give them out free at work so you just take them. You know, but the idea is they give them out at work so you use them at work, not take them home. And you know, so we've got to think about what we're doing and and we've got to realize that that's actually wrong. And uh, I I had a friend in my last church and uh, we preached this series there. We actually interviewed him because this is a guy who was a very quietly spoken man, but he desperately loved the Lord and he wanted to obey the Lord in all that he did. He was a very uh, clever man and and the industry he was involved in, they were building transformers. And uh, so he, he... they built this new transformer and they received this big contract for it, but they had to go through a number of tests in order to secure the contract uh, to prove that the transformer they built could do what it was supposed to do. And unfortunately, there was one load test that when they did this load test that it was supposed to pass, it actually failed. And when they looked at it, they realised if they did this modification, then this would pass okay. And so his boss said, I want you to sign off on this and say that it does actually do that. And so he had a bit of a dilemma because he knew what was before him didn't perform the way it was supposed to. And his boss pressured him a great deal. And in the end, he stood up and he said, I cannot do it. I will not sign off. We're talking about a multi-million dollar contract. And his boss was ropeable. And he said, it really doesn't matter what this costs me. I can't do it. I cannot sign off on this design. Praise God, he kept his job. And this incredible thing happened where this boss who tried to pressure him, great deal of pressure, ended up being his greatest advocate. He knew that he could go to this guy 
and hear the truth every time he needed to hear it. He knew this guy could be trusted. And when he resigned much later, it was this guy who begged him to stay and encouraged him to remain with the company because he could see how ethical he was. And he stood up for truth because he knew that was the right thing to do. We need to do the same in each and every situation. We have to stop remaining silent. We have to speak up. And finally, possibly the one you thought would have been first, we need to be a messenger of the gospel. The Great Commission, which we read out in Matthew 28, is a commission or a command to each one of us, not just the leaders or pastors, but for each and every believer. And we're told in 1 Peter 3.15, In your hearts honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. I want to tell you, you do not have to be a theologian in order to do this. You talk about your relationship, your experience with Christ. That is the proclamation of the gospel in you. That is what Jesus has done for you. And people might say you're crazy, people might say you're nuts, but they cannot refute that which you know. That's what we should be talking about. I want to challenge you. Pray for that 10, 15 seconds of courage to talk about Jesus next time you have the opportunity. And remember, there's one guy in Scripture who demonstrates what it's like for each one of us. Remember this guy? This is the guy who Jesus healed, told him to take up his mat and walk out, and the Pharisees cracked up because he was carrying his mat on a Sunday and everything like that. And so here he is standing before all these guys who knew their scriptures inside out, back to front, the Old Testament. And this guy, he's amazed. He says, you know, you do not know where, know where this guy comes from, speaking about Jesus. And yet he opened my eyes. Oh, that's right, it's a blind man, sorry. He opened my eyes. And we know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and he does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man. If this man were not from God... He could do nothing. He's testifying to the goodness that Jesus did in his life. And this guy gets cast out of the synagogues because they can see that he believes in Jesus. And he's just, this guy was actually blown away that the Pharisees couldn't see that this was Christ. And that's all we're called to do, to testify to what Jesus has done in our life. We don't have to do any more. So tonight... I hope there's something that you will take away and take home. If you want those points, I'm more than happy to send them to you. Uh, I'd love to be able to talk more about the, those points, but um, time doesn't allow us to do that. So I'm going to pray. The worship team's going to come up, but I'd love to pray with you guys. I'd love to talk more about what we've said tonight. But uh, let's just pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your call upon our life. We thank you that we are incredibly saved. We thank you, Lord, that... Um, Thinking about the power that you raised me from death to life is just the same power that you used to raise Christ to life as well. And Lord, we are joint heirs with him. You consider us to be just like Jesus. In fact, Lord, he, he imparts his righteousness upon us so that when you look upon us, you see us as cleansed and clean before you. And Lord, I, I just ask for your forgiveness again for the times when we haven't appreciated what an incredible thing that you've done. 
how amazing our salvation is. And so, Lord, tonight we want to think about the way we live our lives, that we will model that godly character, that we will do the good work that you've called us to do, that we will be ministers of your grace and love, that, Father, we'll have that desire to mould culture within our communities, that we will speak up for truth and justice, Lord, and that we will be those messengers of the gospel message of what you have done for us, Father. And, Lord, I pray that at the very least in our hearts tonight, we'll realise that we have a frontline ministry that those people sitting beside us do not have. It's unique to us. And Lord, you're calling us to be your ambassadors in that place. Give us the courage to witness for you, I pray, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.